Welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. These are talks and conversations about the centrality of Jesus and his kingdom from our community. Enjoy. Guys, come on, clap for Jesus. It's all right. What is a Christian? A person that at minimum claps for Jesus. It's all right to do that. Um, You guys can participate. You'll have to sing along. You can shout amen if you want to. Um, You can give me the thumbs down. Give me a little boo if you need to. I'll be okay. Glad you guys are here. Um, if, if you are new in the room, I just want to point out there are some connect cards around the room. The desire there is not just to get your information. The desire there is I'd love to have you over for coffee or just have a chance to get to know you a little more personally. And so just know that that invitation is on the table uh, for you. So we've been in this discussion, what is Christian? And we've, this is our third week. And let's just from the get-go, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not just trying to like give you a definition kind of answer, a textbook answer to this question. My real desire here is actually to provoke in you a response. Like like we should be getting together and discussing this. We should be choosing to take this into our mealtime to say, really, what is Christian? Because we need to sharpen one another. Because the truth is, what is Christian is not a question that we can answer. It's a question we have to live into. It's something we have to bear witness to. That's you and me. That's each of us. And so this first week, what we, the first week we looked at the dissonance, right, between what we read about in scriptures, what we see in Christ, and what we see in the church. That there is a gap there. There is a bridge. And there's this cultural drift that our religious institutions have sort of uh, attached themselves to. And, and, and we've kind of gone from here to here. But there's also a, a strange synchronization between values of our culture and, 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 and kingdom. And, and how is it that these values of our culture are infiltrating and dominating kingdom spaces? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't our kingdom virtues infiltrate our culture? And, and, and acts of love and service be the kind of things that are readily on display in our world because of how radically we choose to live it out ourselves. Why can't it be like that? What's the, what's the gap? And so we talked about that in the first week. And you can go back and look at it. You can check it out if you want. Second week, we looked at the essence of of the early Christian praxis and its relationship to love, that indistinguishable from one another, interlocked together, was a deep, abiding love in Jesus that was translated as a devotion in following Christ, that glued to his every word. Try living like that. Think about that for a second. Like, like, I really want to follow the words of Christ because I believe that what Christ is saying is real, it's significant, and it has power so much so that I'm willing to put down my ideas and adopt his. And as I do that, I can't help but learn to love. I can't help but be tied to this, this, this movement of God's love in the world. And, and, Chris, or, or, and Eric talked to us about being little Christ and the correlation between our devotion to following Jesus and love. So 
What is Christian? Well, here's the deal. The answer to that question, as I've already said, it's not a definition. The answer to the question of what is Christian is you. It's you. Who you are in your life today is what the world sees and recognizes as Christian. Now, we might not like that. We might not feel great even about that. Or maybe we're going, hey, all right. But Christian is not a term to be defined. It's a person. It's a people group. And so we should ask your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members, what is Christian? And they will only know as far as you have revealed it to them. Because you are a follower of Jesus. You are a Christ follower. And that is who the world around you sees. It's not just what you believe or what you profess, but it's who you are. It's who you are. And so if we can get to anything in this discussion uh, together, my desire would be that we would begin to see people, you and I, living as little Christ. Like, is it possible that the world might mistake you for Jesus? I know. You might be going, wow, there's a, there's a little bit of a dissonance here. I'm starting to think, I don't want to defy. Let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> but we are Christ's ambassadors. And this is not about making you feel guilty. My hope is to provoke and inspire you to want to live radically in your world exactly where you are. To live it out. Be mistaken for Christ. And that will take deliberate and clear action on your part. It'll be a choice daily to devote yourself to the words and the life of Christ. You'll have to attune your mind and heart to hearing and listening to the Spirit. You'll have to be accustomed to knowing the deep currents that are going on in the kingdom. You'll need to know where the enemy exists, where where the lines get blurry. And the truth is, you already kind of know it, guys. You do. It's at the edge, right? It's, 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 it's here is me, and, I, and we get to these spaces in our life where we're not sure if we can keep loving over here, or we're not sure if we know how to surrender over here. And that's, that's the edge of our capacity. But I'm inviting you in Jesus' name to open the door there, to become fully regenerated, restored, now, not later, in Christ's name. We, as followers of Jesus, get to tell the world what it means to be Christian. And you know, that's how we define other religions too, right? We, we look at the followers, the people that proclaim it. And we have to think about that for a second. What's the difference between, you know, a good Muslim and a good Christian? Or a good Buddhist and a good Christian? Besides just what they say. Can the world tell the difference? Can, is it self-evident based on how we live? 
who we are, what we do. As I think about the difference in what is uniquely Christian, I can't help but go searching in the scriptures to what is it that Jesus says that is distinctly from Jesus. You're not going to find it from any other God, from any other source. When we look at the teachings of Christ, what is it that he says that is uniquely his? What does he bring that is actually new to the New Testament? What is it? Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at some of Jesus' sharpest words. And I think he gets at it here really well. He talks about the kind of people that we are invited to be. And this is what it says. If you haven't turned there, it's on the screen. And you guys are going to love this. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now just pause right there. Who else tells us that? Who else teaches us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, and to pray for those who mistreat you? This is Christian. This is what it is to follow Christ. This is what sets us apart is our love that is so profound that even our enemies experience our love. Guys, that's different, right? That's distinct. But it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. If someone slaps you on the cheek, verse 29... Turn to them, turn the other, turn to them the other also. Now, I let's just do it right now. Let everybody next to you just slap the person that just whack them real hard. No takers. Shoot. That would have been awesome. But guys, what's he doing here? He's trying to teach us that in life there's going to be all these moments where it feels like you're getting slapped in the cheek, where somebody offends you or hurts you, but you are not to retaliate or to respond in anger, or to dish back what you've been given, because you are a follower of Jesus, and you are distinctly unique. And and as we practice choosing the other, we increasingly become like our king. So, So if they slap you, let them slap the other half of your cheek. And if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt. Give that also. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, if somebody takes your stuff, do not demand it back. I know some of you are going, whoa, Gavin, this is like serious stuff. You really want me to like not take, get my stuff back? That's right. I'm challenging us to live as Christ calls us to live. To love our enemies. To live in a way that we don't have to get it back. I don't need it back because I have such abundance in my relationship with Christ and in who I am that I don't have to respond transactionally. Guys, that's how the world lives, by the way. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the world. Now, some of you are going, well, actually, that's the Old Testament. Well, 
Except Jesus comes and says, but I tell you. And he takes us further, doesn't he? And so we are called to live as Jesus invites us to live. Radically free from the need to get back or to take back. See, how many times like you just wanted to even the, the bar, right? You wanted to, to just, you know, I'm just going to slide that in there real quick. Get even. How many times in relationships have you felt like this isn't fair? Or this isn't equal? Or I, like how many of us are keeping score of what the other person is doing? And we're just ready. But Jesus is inviting us that we don't have to live that way. We can be free from the need to keep score because we've experienced God in such a way that those kind of, that merit system, that uh, quid pro quo world of transaction is no longer necessary. It doesn't do anything. And guys, if we're just honest, is it ever enough? Have you ever been satisfied? To think about this, do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32, and this is, guys, here's the difference. What's the difference between like a, a good Christian and just a good person, right? Well, here's what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. You see, this, guys, that's, there's no difference there. That's not, that isn't, that's not Christian. That's not following Jesus. No, verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So this is not a transaction between you and God. Well, if I do this, and then I'll get this. No, this is you taking on the very nature of God. This is you taking, this is you being, taking on the kindness of God to the ungrateful and to the wicked, that you are giving what God has given you. Guys, don't go and try and love your enemies with your own love. Good luck. We do it out of the one who first loved us so that we might love. That's the love you have to come in contact with. That's the love you need to be swimming in, living in. That's the reservoir of love that's required for us to re return in love with abundance, even for our enemies. Guys, this is home plate for followers of Jesus. But I'm going to be honest, I know very few Christians that actually believe in loving their enemies. I know a lot of Christians that think it's a good idea, but, you know, Jesus didn't really mean that. And I would just challenge you. I'm sorry. Our good ideas don't get a, a disagree with Christ's own words. 
And if we need to reconcile that, we just need to be students of Christ long enough and he will help us see this. He will help us learn to live there. You don't have to get even. And I know we're wounded. I know we're hurt. I know the world hasn't been fair to us. But again, that's exactly the kind of person that has the capacity and potential to do something about it. It's the person who has been harmed, been hurt, been wounded, who can turn around and say, despite that, despite what's happened to me, I offer to you good news. I offer to you the love of God. I don't need to get justice here. I'll let justice be done in God's hands. That's that's mercy. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Guys, this is what's new about the New Testament. This is what is new in the world of the cross and Jesus. This is what Jesus does that's distinctly different. And this is why we're invited to pick up our cross. That's not, picking up your cross isn't just following your Jesus. Picking up your cross is taking what doesn't belong to you for others, right? It's, it's, receiving, it's receiving the worst of the worst from the world. It's not just you dying to yourself. It's that, but it's you dying for the world, for those around you. It's both of those. It's Stephen being stoned to death and seeking forgiveness for them. It's Jesus taking it all the way. All the way. He takes it all the way. And I don't just mean with his life. Jesus enters into the pit of hell at his death. And he's risen from the grave, from your worst places, from our worst offenses. Jesus goes to the enemy of enemies to remind them that they are loved. And we're called to follow in that way. We Christians are people who live in such a way that the world around them knows that they are loved. Do the people around you know how precious they are? How incredible they are? Can you even see how precious and incredible they are? Despite how mean and wicked and unrighteous they might be. Can you see through to who they really are in Christ and love them, not with your own love, but with God's love being made alive in you? That principle must begin to organize all of our actions because, as Eric reminded us, if you have not loved, we are nothing. Have you noticed the question of love is what comes up all the time? It's always what comes up, even for all of us, because this goes both ways. It's not just that we are to love the enemies, it's that we are to let others love us. 
And so many of us, we don't know how to go there. We don't know how to let that kind of radical love in. We even resist Christ. Right? We hide. We resist. We distract ourselves. Because we're afraid that we might not be able to withstand the light of love, the exposure of genuine intimacy with God. And the truth is, we might not be able to handle it. That's why some of the writers in, in early church fathers talk about Christ's love as like hellfire. <laughs> be hot. How many people have you bumped into in the last week that in some way or another they're asking, do you love me? Or am I loved? How many people were seeking approval, affirmation, praise? Think about it. We, we want affection. Because we want to be reminded that we're loved. And this is so much of why Jesus is calling us to a love that goes beyond just the surfaces of love and what everybody else loves. We go, God wants us to go to the deepest place where people really need to experience his love, just as you need it. And we get to do that for others and, and for one another, by the way. We should turn to each other right now, look each other in the eyes and say, oh my gosh, I love you so much. No, really, I do. It'd be good for you. How many times are you just making sure? I mean, uh, like, I, I can't, t how many times I've gotten off this stage and be like, honey, how'd I do? <laughs> Was my sermon okay, babe? What'd you think of it, babe? Give me your thoughts, honey. I, I I live in that world just like all of us do. But deep down behind that is this deep need to be loved, and I keep trying to satisfy it by keeping up some impressionable appearance and, you know, I'm counting the laughs or whatever it is. That's a world of transaction where, here, I'll give you this and you give me a little laugh back or tell me I did great. No, 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 no. Jesus said in the passage, just if, if, if they want this from you, give them that too. You don't need any repayment. Anything has to come back. Okay, it's not just literally about the coat or the shirt. It's about all of it. But for that to happen in our world, right, we're going to have to, like, for the world to be healed of that, we're going to have to love people regardless if they ask it or not too. They should, we should love people so much they don't even have to ask the question. How'd I do? They know how precious they are because they experience God's love in you for them. How many times have you told somebody they're beautiful? Or how many times have you been told you're beautiful only to question it right away? Now, you know, I know, I know you think I'm beautiful, but you're my husband, so of course you're going to say that. 
not talking about any particular relationship. <laughs> you are beautiful. And generally, the only person that doesn't believe that is yourself. Man, does God want to love that part of you so bad? And he's employed everybody in the room to be that voice to others. To be his voice to the world. The world's tearing itself apart right now. And all it needs to be reminded of is that it's, an, it's enough. You're loved. You are loved. You don't have to be successful and, and trample over your family to be liked by the world. You don't have to, you name it, you are loved. You don't have to go to war. You don't have to pick your thing. Because when we don't get that, when we aren't constantly fed that, we spiral. How many, how many people are in prison because they were desiring attention? How many kids are misbehaving because they weren't getting the love they needed? How many of us are outbursting to our spouses because we don't feel like we're getting what we deserve. At our core, the problems and anxieties we are facing come back to the challenge of knowing that we are deeply loved. And this is why Jesus came. Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul talks about it this way. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for those that like, didn't deserve it. He loved the enemies. Very ra- rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Okay, right? There it is. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, he chose to tell us he loved us with his life. In that state, in that place, he still chose to remind us that we are loved. We, we even as enemies of God, get to experience him. It's tangible, guys. It's not just good feelings. This is why we're called to love our enemies, because we have to start making choices and doing deliberate things in action that demonstrate this. You can't love your enemy just by kind of thumbs-upping them. you got to go to them. Make peace with them. They, they need to become your friend. You need to see Christ in them. How many ways does Jesus say this? He says it over and over again. We love because he first loved us. It's interesting to me how in touch we are with our sin, but how out of touch we are with God's love. And that's what we need to switch. Because while we were once enemies with God, we've been made whole in him. We are now friends of Christ. This is what love does. It's not a transaction. It's intimacy. It's restoration. This is why forgiveness, even on the cross, was not a 
not just a simple exchange for, here, for this, for that. No, think about it. Guys, forgiveness is the action of going to somebody that's wronged you, going to an enemy and freeing them of that, releasing them of that. That's forgiveness. It's letting it go, that that's in your power to do that. You can love them that way. I think one of the best examples we see is in in Luke 7, verse 47. And you guys know the story where, where the girl comes in, Jesus is reclining at the table with the Pharisees. He's having a meal, and, and they're all probably sitting around, you know, quizzing each other on the Bible or something like that. And all of a sudden, breaking into the room is this girl, and she really doesn't belong there. She's out of place, and, and she's, she's weeping. Tears are coming out of her eyes, and the, her tears are hitting the feet of Jesus, and she starts cleaning his feet and pouring out her perfume. She's giving the shirt, you know, the, everything. It's all coming. Okay? She gives her entire love to God. She pours out her expensive perfume. She doesn't expect anything back. And this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore I tell you, excuse me, <clears throat> her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And this, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to love those that we've been separated from. And everybody in the room here is going, no, no, this is not okay. It shouldn't be like this. And Jesus is saying, no, this is exactly what the kingdom is. Where where she gets to come and be at my feet, that we can love each other in this profoundly radical way. It's wasteful love. It's all getting poured out for this person Because Jesus poured everything out for her. And he pours everything out for us. He wastes it all. So that we might know. And we might turn around and pour it out for the world around us. This is love. This is how we act. See, this is what I'm talking about. You define what Christian is. That's a Christian. When you walk out this door, you need to wipe tears on people's feet. What wouldn't you be willing to do to demonstrate your love for the world, for the enemies? That's what we're called to. Jesus knew that she'd been forgiven because of her great love. That's what's so fascinating about that passage. He could tell that forgiveness had come to her because of how crazy, like, prodigal her love was. That's how he could tell. The world will be able to tell you too have been forgiven by how wild and crazy your love is. That's what we're invited into. We forgive because we've been forgiven. So let me say this, and I'll close here. No matter, no matter what your spouse has said to you, no matter what your parents have done to you, no matter the neglect you've experienced from those that you care about, no matter how your church has made you feel, no matter what your enemies have said about you, you are deeply loved by God. And you don't have to be caught in the trap of the world's anger and frustration and woundedness. 
because Christ has been wounded for you. And he invites you to be free from the resentment, the anger, the, all of it, so that you can just, again, give it all up. You can live to love others. That's real freedom in Christ. It's not just being loved, but it's loving the world, even your enemies, while expecting nothing in return. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us in this, that you would, man, God, we, we just acknowledge how difficult and how much we fall short of this. But Lord, would you not just awaken the longing, but would you ignite in us the capacity to, to, to respond? God, even now as we enter into worship, I pray that this church body, these, each person here would feel the overwhelming love of their Savior. May you pour your spirit. May you put your tears on their feet. May you radically give yourself to each person here. Might we just sit in that, God? Might we just sit in the fact that you, you entered the world as a little, little baby and, and, and you gave yourself up for us, that you... You lived your entire life in devotion to others. God, may, may we receive you as you desire for us to receive you. Free us, God, of the resistance, things that might get in the way. God, if, we, if we're holding on to some anger above and beyond your love, God, would you just overwhelm that resentment, anger, whatever it is, God, with your divine love in us. Help us, God. Help us.